So a controversy erupted this past week over, are you ready? Children's books. Or more to the point, the words of best-selling British author Roald Dahl. So Dahl, who passed away years ago, right, was the creator of such infamous characters as Matilda and the BFG, the fantastic Mr. Fox, Willy Wonka, right, the Twits. But the publisher, Puffin Books, became concerned that some of his language was unsuitable for today's young ears. And so they hired a group of sensitivity readers and subsequently made hundreds of changes to his books. And so the, the cloud men in James and the Giant Peach are now just cloud people. For men, is too gender binary. Similarly, the giants in another book that eat men, women, and children now eat only people. I'm not sure how that helps a lot, but, you know, there it is. Augustus Gloop is no longer enormously fat, for that would be fat shaming, right? He is now just enormous. Now, I could go on, but those changes, and there are hundreds of them, sparked outrage among many. And so author Solomon Rushdie has decried this as absurd censorship. Writers' unions are speaking out in part because Dahl was very clear he didn't want his books edited. He wanted them to be a little irreverent, as he said. Even British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has, has waded in this week right into a press conference. When he was asked about this, he responded, I agree with the BFG. We shouldn't gobblefunk around with words. There's even a viral video of the ex-Prime Minister Boris Johnson singing the Oompa Loompa song, all right? Like in protest over what's happened. Friends, words matter. Words matter. Just take the word woman, for example, how it's defined, whether it's even appropriate to use that word, right? That evokes visceral responses both from the left and from the right. For words have a way of not only describing, but words also have a way of shaping our own reality. So there's a reason that the Associated Press Style Guide came out with some new guidelines in the past few months. And now news outlets are no longer to say pro-lifers, but they're to refer to them as anti-abortionists, right? Because they know that words matter. So friends, what about your words this morning? You know, it's estimated we speak roughly 7,000 words a day. Women speak more words, it's said, than men on average, if you'll permit those categories. Friends, what do your words say about you? What do you think of, or do you even think, when you utter the words that you do? Well, these questions bring us back this morning to our study in the book of James. I invite you to turn there with me now. We're going to be in James chapter 3, James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, which if you don't happen to have a Bible with you, don't fear. We have red Bibles provided in the seat back before you, and you can find James 3 on page 1012, page 1012. Now, I'm just going to pause for a moment, give you a chance to turn there, James chapter 3. And if you're new to a Bible, just know that when I say chapter 3, that's the big bold number. And when I refer to verses, those are the small superscript numbers. Let's look at James chapter 3. 
He writes, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. All right, well, we've all heard that expression, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Now, that ditty has a nice ring to it, but I hope you're beginning to see James, right, would take issue with it. He'd take issue with that statement. For if you've been ever on the receiving end of a cutting remark or a snide comment, right, or a public insult, you know that the wounds which are caused by words, well, frankly, those wounds, in fact, take a lot longer to heal if those wounds ever heal. Now, James understands that our words matter. In fact, they matter enormously, says James, even eternally. And friends, that shouldn't surprise us, for after all, right, the God of the Bible is a speaking God, as Jacob reminded us in his prayer of confession, right? He's chosen to reveal himself to us principally, right, not in pictures, not finally in images, right, not in smells and bells. No, while many religions emphasize the visual icons and images, biblical Christianity is verbal. It's about words, right? He created the world Through his word, Genesis 1, he revealed himself to Moses and the patriarchs in words, culminating, of course, in his son, who is is what? The word made flesh. He recreated us, as, as Nick reminded us in his prayer, right? Through the word of truth. He fellowships with us every week through his word, which is why we do this, right? We gather around his word. This is just the consistent pattern of scripture, That God's people gather around the hearing of God's word, right? We remain silent while God speaks. Because words matter. I think James 
Well, he comes to us with a basic warning this morning, and he's, he's essentially saying, right, the tongue is toxic, so you better watch it. That's just the basic thrust of what he's saying. And he's going to open with a prohibition around our words. That's verses 1 and 2. And then he's going to reflect, secondly, on the power of our words. That's verses 3 to 5, the beginning of verse 5 at least. Then he's going to turn, thirdly, to the problem with our words, which is the second half of verse 5 through verse 8. And then he's going to conclude with a statement on the priority of our own words. Verses 9 to 12. So we're going to think about the prohibition around our words in the first two verses, and then reflect, secondly, on the power of our words in 3 to 5a, then the problem with our words, thirdly, in 5b to 8, and then the priority of our words, verses 9 to 12. All right, so first, that's your outline, right? First, a prohibition around our words, right? There's a prohibition he places around our words. James Right, he does seem to transition somewhat abruptly into this section on speech. But he's actually already breached the topic, right, back in 126. If anyone thinks, James says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle, you hear that word bridle there in 126? It's also here in chapter 3, verse 2. Does not bridle what? Bridle his tongue, Right, that word tongue is is uh, James comes back to it in three, five, six, and seven. Really, the, the whole passage is about it, but he makes it explicit there. But the one who does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, James says, this person's religious religion rather is worthless. James one twenty six. And yet, maybe even more surprising than the shift into words is the is the opening warning that verse one: not many of you should become teachers. Now, when James refers to teachers, he's not referring to your third grade teacher. He's not talking about your math professor. He's talking about teachers in the church. He's talking about pastors. Now, admittedly, I think in our day, for most, religious teachers are seen a bit more as lepers. All right? Preachers are people to be avoided. So when we moved into our home a few years ago, we noticed our neighbors were kind, and yet they kept far away. And then we learned why. It's because word had gotten out in our little neighborhood community that the new local Southern Baptist preacher was just moving in. And they were staying away. Because the local preacher is usually the last person most people want at their cocktail party. But in the ancient world, religious teachers were held in high esteem. Right? They were respected. They were valued. They could even attain a kind of celebrity status. And it's possible that some in James's congregation, some of those that he's writing to, were trying to attain that status, maybe as a way to overcome some of the, the social and societal opposition they had begun to face. But whatever the motivation might be, James has to warn them, verse 1, that, that many shouldn't be teachers. For you know that we who teach, he says, will be judged with greater strictness. Now, this is something, frankly, men, and many rather, who, who aspire to pastoral ministry, right? They kind of jump over James 3.1. But James is saying here that pastoring is actually uniquely dangerous business. It's uniquely dangerous business. And he's warning all those who would like to be teachers in the church. And notice he places himself amongst those teachers most formally. He says, right, we who are teachers, he says. Right? It's, it's dangerous. And it's dangerous, he says, James, because our teaching involves speech, which James is going to go on to say is the hardest part of the body to control. 
right, our tongue. And teachers will be judged more strictly because as leaders, right, teachers can do particular damage to a church. Their words will either convey the truth or obscure the truth or even worse, maybe deny the truth. And to much who has been given, we're told much will be required. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 18, 6. But whoever causes one of these who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. So this passage applies loosely to any who might teach in the church, but I think James has specifically in mind the office of teacher. So for any of you this morning, and I know we have some thinking about pastoral ministry, just let a verse like James 3.1 sober you. Right? Every year, OSHA, Occupational Safety and Health Administration, what does it do? It lists the most dangerous professions. And at the top are always what? Deep sea fishing, logging, right? oil rig workers, and roofers. But James would actually say there's one prof- profession that tops all those on the list, and it's that profession of pastor. So before you think about running into a pulpit, right, James is saying pump the brakes, bridle that ambition, because yes, it's dignified work, but it is dangerous work. So members of UBC, let a verse like this be an encouragement to you to pray for your elders, right? Pray for your elders. We as your elders need, right? We need your prayers that we would both watch our life and watch our doctrine closely and thus not lead others astray either in what we say or how we do or do not live out what we say. For in verse two, James says, right? We all stumble in many ways, but he says, especially in our speech, such that the one who can bridle his tongue, in fact, James says, if you can do that, you can, you can bridle the whole body. Now, James is highlighting something he's going to make more clear in verses 5 to 8, namely that the tongue is especially hazardous, which is worth considering for a moment because when we think about all the ways we might be able to get in trouble before the Lord, so to speak, we might think first of things we do with our body, whether it's sexual immorality or drugs or alcohol. Maybe it's things we do with our hands, right? We strike out in anger. We think of murder. We don't tend to think of our mouths as the most dangerous member of our body. And yet, James is saying it is most able to get us into trouble and as we'll see, the hardest to tame. Right? Jesus says in Matthew 12, 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Now, in a conversation with Jacob just earlier this week, he noted that connection that, between that passage, which begins talking about trees bearing fruits according to their kind, and then with that reference to justification, that may be the passage in James' mind. Because remember, he talked about justified, right, in the previous section, the way Jesus does, and now he gets to our words. So it may be that Matthew 12 is actually the verses there, 33 to 37, that James has a mind as he pens this. But either way, right, to be held accountable for every careless word we speak, right, those are haunting words. 
Those are haunting words, right? God has a record of every word we've ever spoken in perfect and exacting detail, right? Nothing, not even a syllable, not even a whisper has escaped God's notice. And so there's a reason, right? As Nick was praying, that James says we're to be what? We're to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, James 1.19. You know, and friends, I think this can be especially hard for us as Americans. Especially hard for us. Because what is, what is something we absolutely cherish and relish? It is our First Amendment. And ingrained there in that First Amendment is what the freedom of speech. Freedom of speech. And by freedom of speech, many of us, what we mean is the license to say, right? It's the right to say whatever we want, however we want, to whomever we want, regardless of how it makes them feel. If you feel badly about what I said or what I posted, right, that's on you. And that's how we often think about our words. And if you need confirmation, just scroll through Twitter for a few minutes this afternoon. You'll see exactly what I mean. But friends, the Bible and James would call us to exhibit a whole lot more caution and to be far more circumspect with our words. Which brings us secondly to the power of our words. The power of our words. Verses 3 to the beginning of verse 5. And to illustrate the power of them, James gives us, he already turns to, to two common visual aids of the day. Right Now, I don't personally have a great history with horses. So I've broken only two bones in my life, and the last one was on a horse, right? So I don't tend to get on horses a lot. But I do know, at least in theory, right, though I couldn't get the bit and the bridle thing to work, I do know, at least in theory, how they're supposed to work. And the bit goes in the horse's mouth, and it's connected to the bridle, and with it, you're to steer the horse. And the remarkable thing about it is that bit can weigh often less than a pound, and a horse can weigh up to 1,800 pounds, and that little thing can steer the whole beast, now, not in my case, I went over, but right, for others, I trust it'll work better. Or take the rudder on a ship. So the USS Gerald Ford is the newest aircraft carrier in the U.S. Navy, and it weighs over 100,000 tons. It houses nearly 5,000 sailors, nearly 100 airplanes and helicopters. It's powered by two nuclear reactors that produce over 260,000 shaft horsepower, and it propels this floating city. It speeds upwards of 35 miles an hour through the water. And that may not sound like a lot, but if you've ever been in a boat going 35 miles an hour, that's a good speed. And what kind of rudder can control such a beast like that? One that weighs five one-hundredths of one percent of that entire ship. Now, it's remarkable to think that something so comparatively small directs something so massive and so powerful. And James says in the same way, right, verse 5, so also the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts of great things. So the average human tongue, I read, weighs 65 grams, which at my weight, and you could do some math here and figure that out. Don't do that now, right? But at my weight, that would be, guess what? Six one-hundredths of one percent. So really close to the rudder on the USS Gerald Ford, right? James knew what he was talking about. But the point being, though comparatively small, right? The, the tongue has an enormous impact on the body, a disproportionate impact. 
And just like bits and rudders, our tongue, it determines our direction. Our tongue has a way of setting the course of our lives. And in that, our tongues have tremendous power. Now, I'm guessing there are things you've said, words you've spoken that have forever in some way or another altered the course of your own life. Right? Maybe it was an essay that landed you a scholarship. Maybe it was something you said in a job interview right? that helped you land the job or maybe got you knocked out of the job. Maybe it was a greeting that led to a first date. Or on the flip side, it was a word spoken in frustration that ended a relationship. Our words possess tremendous power to steer and to control, and they can be used for good. So we read earlier in Proverbs 16, 24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Or you think of Proverbs 10, 11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Or Proverbs 15, 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. But as we're about to see our words so often instead, right, they can be used for evil. And this should cause us to, to pause and, and think very carefully before we speak. For James is saying when we speak, we steer. Right? We're steering the course of our lives, and we're also affecting and steering the course of others' lives. Our words have the power both to heal and to harm. Right? Our words are never neutral, never a minor matter. But it's also a reminder to ponder carefully those words, not only you speak, but those words you receive, those words you take in, those words you ingest. For in the same way that our words can steer the courses of our lives and other lives, so the words of others can inform and steer our own. So for a while, I know, I was listening to a, a popular social commentator, and he was very insightful, often quite entertaining, right, which is why I was listening. But I often found myself at the end more agitated, more angsty, Right, I found myself at the end like gearing up and preparing for some kind of cultural fight. And I realized those words actually weren't promoting in me any fruits of the Spirit. It was not helping me to love my neighbor, but actually was building more anger toward my neighbor. They were almost functioning as a kind of poison in my own heart, and so I just had to stop listening. Now, maybe for you it's not a podcast, right? I'm a news junkie. That's the problem. Maybe it's not a podcast. Maybe it's the music you feed continually through your AirPods. It's not just our words that affect others, but the words of others, friends, that will have tremendous effect upon us too. So are the words that you listen to, are they steering you toward Jesus or away from him? That's a good question to ask. Which leads us thirdly to the problem with our words. The problem with our words. This is 5b through 8. You know, if you go to a doctor, what's one thing they often have you do? And it doesn't happen as much these days, but it happened to me the other day, right? What do they do? They ask you to, to stick out your tongue, and they examine your tongue to see what it might reveal about you. Well, friends, that's what James is about to do. He's about to give us an examination, and he's going to ask us to stick out our tongues, and what he finds when he looks at our tongues is not pretty. For while in the first two images, right, bits and rudders, right, those images 
we're a bit more neutral, right? Just expressing the power of words. The next image he uses when he talks about the tongue is a negative one. And it highlights, in fact, the destructive power of our words. So 5b, right? James opens, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Now, the 2019 ranch fire in California was the largest fire in California history, right? So if you look at it in terms of acres, I think it was over five, roughly 500,000 acres, which I think is like 775 square miles, were all just incinerated. And friend, how did that horribly destructive fire start? Right? Was it a lightning strike? Was it a high-voltage power line that came down? Was it arson? Was it a hiker who just left a campfire going? Was it someone who carelessly threw a cigarette butt right into the brush? No, it was actually none of those things. Nothing as grand as that. It was a utility worker taking a hammer and driving a metal stake in the ground. And when that utility worker struck that metal stake with the hammer, a small spark was created and flew into the neighboring brush. And that tiny little spark created the largest fire in California history. James is saying that our tongues can be like that. Right? Our tongues are incendiary. When we open our mouths, so often sparks fly. The tongue with just a word, he says, can ignite a firestorm, an inferno that consumes everything and everyone around us. All right, so one jab on social media, and what happens? Taylor and Kanye, or Yee, whatever you want to call them, right? They're in all-out war. Or one spouse utters that word, divorce. And they utter it maybe just in frustration. And 30 years of marriage begins to turn to ash. A few cruel comments at school, right, leads to some bullying. And a distraught teenager is forced to what? Maybe transfer schools or even worse, take their own lives? That's what our tongues are capable of doing. Ruining and burning everything around us to the ground. James's anatomy of our tongue, right? it's not encouraging. What does he say? Verse 5 and 6, he calls it a fire. A world of unrighteousness or evil. So notice when James says a world of unrighteousness... He's not saying our tongues but are this just small sliver of evil. They're a world of evil, right? Our tongues are an entire ecosystem of sin. Vast worlds of wickedness, James says, are our tongues. He says they stain the whole body, verse 6. Now remember back in James 1.27, true religion is to keep what? Keep oneself unstained from the world. And yet here our tongues they stain us, right? The sparks of our own tongues stain everything, right? They turn it to soot, black with soot, right? Verse 6, setting on fire the entire course of life, right? Because there's no part of our lives that the tongue doesn't touch and touch for evil. And when it does, it consumes as we've seen everything. And what's the source, James says, of all this evil, this Fire that spews from our mouths like some diabolical Marvel character, right? Where does this come from? James says hell itself. James says our tongues are what set on fire, verse 6, by hell. 
James is saying that our speech is satanic. Friend, your speech can be satanic because your heart is hellish. And that's what he's saying. Friend, how did the serpent work in the Garden of Eden? He didn't come brandishing a sword. He didn't come with an imposing army. The serpent slithered in like a a snake. And what did he do? He whispered words. Words were his weapon. Words that from hell itself would ignite a spark and thus would go on to consume the entire course of human history. Now, I know Billy Joel famously sang, we didn't start the fire. It's always burning since the world's been turning, right? You know the old song, 80s song, right? 80s references are going to find a way in. And friends, that's a catchy tune if you know that Billy Joel song, but it is faulty theology. We did start the fire in not keeping the serpent out of the garden, in listening to that serpent's speech, and in sinning. And do you notice one of the first recorded sins in the Bible? What is it? It's a sin of speech. Words that ignited a war because when confronted there in the garden, what does Adam say when confronted in the garden? He says, the woman you, God, gave me, she made me do it. Blame shifting, focusing on others, passing off the buck. Right there, the war of the sexes was ignited and it rages unto this day. The horrifying reality again Right, Our speech is so often satanic because our hearts are hellish. And Jesus reminds us it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So why do we instinctively lie? It's not just because we don't want to be caught. It's not just because we don't want to be exposed. Jesus says we finally lie because we have Satan as our spiritual father and he is the father of lies. John 8, 44. And so our speech, whether or not it is, it is a cruel word we utter, a dishonoring word to our parents, whether or not it is that cutting comment we make to a classmate, whether or not it's a joke we utter at someone else's expense, whether it's that juicy piece of gossip that we share with another, justified by, now let's make sure we pray for them. They proceed from hearts Burning with the fires of hell, James says, which is why they ignite such a firestorm around us. And that's the power of the tongue. And James says, right, it's not a pretty picture. And it's uniquely the power of the tongue. Because the tongue has, as James is saying, the capacity for evil like no other member of our body. So take just the book of Proverbs, for example, Do we find in Proverbs whole chapters dedicated to the misuse of the elbow or of the big toe? Well, no, of course not. No, it's our tongues, right? They uniquely possess that kind of destructive power unlike any other part of our body. And James is saying the problem is even worse, though, because it can't be contained. And so James, what does he do? He takes us to the zoo in verse 7. And he says, when it comes to beasts and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea, he says, all those things we can tame. And right there, James is likely alluding to Genesis 1.26, where God divines all created things basically in those same four categories. 
And then what does he say? He says to, to Adam Eve, you're to go fill the earth and subdue it, right? You're to sort of tame, in essence, what's been created. And by and large, friends, we've been pretty successful. Now, I don't know the last time you've been to SeaWorld, but we've managed to get killer whales to dance in the air. We can make dolphins do great acrobatics. We can make sea lions smile and clap on cue. We've trained elephants to play soccer at the circus. Parrots can sing karaoke to our favorite tunes. Even on a good day, my dog can get the paper for me. All of that we've managed to tame. But James says, you know what? We can't tame the tongue. We can tame other species. We can't even tame our own species of the tongue. Verse 8, it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Restless as in always wanting to wiggle its way free. James is saying the tongue is slippery. It's slippery, which is why some have noted God gave us both teeth and a mouth. Teeth like a cage, right, and a mouth that can close to hold it in. The problem is we let our tongues loose all the time. And the tongue, he says, is venomous, right? It's venomous, full of deadly poison, the end of verse 8. In the same way that the serpent poisoned paradise, so our words also can poison everything around us. And is that not what the Apostle Paul is helping to note in Romans 3.13? When he says their throats are open graves, they use their tongues to deceive the venom, right? The venom, the poison of asps, which is just another word for viper, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, now, I recognize right now there are all kinds of concerns, right, about chemical weapons still in parts of Syria or gain-of-function research in China or weapons of mass destruction being created in Iran. And I'm not discounting any of that. But if you want to discover the greatest weapon of mass destruction, if you want to discover the truly lethal, most lethal biological agent that can be transmitted through the air, right, through phone lines, through the click of a pen or a retweet on Twitter, James is saying all you have to do is look in the mirror and open your mouth. And there you'll find it. That's the problem with our words. Which brings us forth to the priority of our words. Verses 9 to 12. The priority of our words. For James notes the hypocrisy of our speech, because he's going to say in verse 9, right, with our mouths, what do we do? We bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people made in his image. You're hearing echoes again of Genesis 127 there. And James is saying this ought not to be, right? Such duplicity with our mouths, right? That's devilish. And yet, tragically, that kind of duplicity describes us. So we can gather like this this morning, right? And, and we can sing praises to God and we can pray with God when we gather. And then with those very same mouths, when this service is over, we find a way quickly to speak critically of another. Or we share things that aren't ours to share. Or we bark at a child in frustration merely because they removed their shoe, Right? Or with forked tongues, right? With forked tongues, we use them to deceive, to position ourselves more favorably amongst our friend groups. And in this, what are we doing? We're trying to slither our way into the grace of others. 
And the sad reality is that we possess a haunting capacity to say that we delight in God one minute and then turn around the next minute and curse those made in his image. And what does that say about us? That's where James goes in verses 11 and 12. And he's calling us to consider the priority of our words because our words, he says, function as a kind of spiritual barometer. They reveal our words do what's happening inside of us. So he notes that a spring produces either what? Fresh water or salt water. Now the word in verse 11 for for salt is really bitter water, as in brackish water, right? As in foul water. And consider trees. He's like, right, trees produce fruit what? According to their kinds. And so James is saying, consider the fruit of your mouth and what that has to say about you. So Belladonna is the name of a berry that's, that's dark, this beautiful dark blue, deep blue. And it's round and it looks a lot like a young blueberry, only this fruit contains atropine, which causes paralysis and if you're not careful, will cause death. Right? James is saying, consider the fruit of your mouth. Is it sweet and is it delightful or is it fatal? Right? Is it lethal to others? What James is helping us to do is he's helping us see that at the end of the day, our tongue problems are really heart problems. Right? Our tongue problems are really heart problems. So when we explode in anger, it's because our hearts are filled with anger. When we respond with a kind of icy coolness and indifference toward others, it's because our hearts are filled with a kind of icy coolness and indifference towards others. When we delight in retelling that latest rumor or in spreading that juicy story, it's because our hearts are filled with a kind of demonic delight in seeing other people fall. So I ask you, what do your words say about you? Right, think of the words that you've spoken this week. Maybe even words you spoke last night or this morning. Friends, what do those words reveal about you? Because the temptation is to what? It's to make excuses for our words, right? I didn't really mean it. I was just upset. You know, my mouth ran away with me. But James is helping us see that our words aren't merely accidental. They're not incidental. Our words are central to to whom we are. They're central to who we are. Our words, he says, provide a kind of window into our own hearts. Our words are our window into our hearts. So friends, what do your words reveal about the priorities of your own heart? If your mouth is a spring, and all of ours is a spring of some sort, is that water sweet and fresh, or is that water foul and brackish? Right? How do you speak towards others? What do you say about others? Even those who you would deem your enemies, how do you speak of them? Right? What do you post online? What do you repost? What do you retweet? And what does that say again about your heart? When you observe someone else spreading gossip or using cruel words, right? do you speak up or do you remain silent because you fear their words and their judgment more than the judgment of God? And friend, if so, what does that say about your own heart? Friends, the deeper we look, right, the more desperate we see the situation becomes. 
For if our words are a kind of window into our heart, right? Again, the picture is not pretty. What we need are transformed hearts, right? And only God can do this. Only God can take a spring that is salty, friends, and make it fresh. For those of us whose words carry with them the stench of death, we must turn to the one who holds out to us the words of life, right? Jesus Christ. The one who is, as we know, the eternal word, the one descended from heaven. The ultimate solution to our word problems is not censorship, right? That's, Puffin House may think that's going to help. That's not the solution, it's censorship. Nor is it merely to close our mouths, though often closing our mouths would be a great thing to do. The answer to our word problem is quite literally the word made flesh, Jesus For he alone on the cross bore the consequence of every foul word that we have ever spoken. The judgment due us for our words has fallen on him if we would recognize the sin in our own hearts and confess it, right, and turn to him. We can, as James says, James 1.18, we can then be born again. Through what? Through the word of truth. So confessing our faith in Christ, right? The word, and then walking by faith in that word. Friends, that is the only way to see our words transformed. In Christ, our sinful words don't have to have the last word. Rather, it's his word that will have the final word over our souls. Friends, our words matter. And James is helping us see they matter eternally. So I ask again, what do your words have to say about you? And whose words will have the final word over your life? Let's pray.